Dennis Stewart. We were talking last week about uh, resisting winter ailments and you talked about nutrition and uh, all sorts of uh, warming herbs and mm. spices. Mm. Um, mm. And you want to carry on with that a little mm. bit too, but something else as well? Yes, look, I was going to jump straight away into that again this morning, but a couple of people have impressed me this week what what we would refer to them as budding cash croppers, people that are growing herbs, interested in growing herbs, and have approached me to say something about encouraging that on my radio program. So I've got to spend a few moments looking at growing herbs as a cash crop. Health naturally. So uh, you've had an inquiry yeah. from a listener a about uh, growing mm. herbs. Yes. Look, um, over the years, uh, as you know, Jane, we have touched occasionally on the concept of growing herbs as a cash crop. That means deliberately growing herbs in volume in order to be able to market them. And listeners might be interested to know that um, a couple of decades ago, I toured uh, capital cities in Australia presenting a one-day seminar in growing herbs as a cash crop. Uh, I also did one in New Zealand. It was very popular then. Um, for some reason, and I can't understand why, the interest seemed to drop for a period of time, and I haven't done any of that lecture touring on cash cropping, but I suspect that the movement, the interest in growing herbs again as a source of income, not just as a matter of interest, is accelerating. And uh, it takes me back, Jane, to uh, the, the, uh, the days when uh, Professor Elliot from this university, who was the professor of physics, uh, uh, retired to his property at Peach Orchard Road, Arimba, and sought me out um, to study under me and also um, to participate in his interest in growing herbs as a cash crop. And we developed a very, very close relationship. He was a beautiful, loving man, and our relationship was almost like a father and son. It was a sad loss when he moved uh, to the Atherton uh, to be with his children. But uh, we actually... Uh, at that time, uh, grew Echinacea purpurea on his property uh, and we grew it as a cash crop. And believe it or not, we had Americans coming from a company called Newpro to his property who were absolutely stunned at the quality of Echinacea purpurea that we were growing and being Americans wanted to immediately enter into a contract for us to grow vast amounts of it, which we couldn't. But he was one of the first to demonstrate uh, with my assistance, and we used to hold field excursions there and, and the cash crops when we conducted them would go to his property and show people the way that one could seriously cultivate particularly medicinal herbs. So recently, two people in particular have contacted me, one last from the Northern Rivers and one gentleman from the, from the Hunter where I am. And both of them are already doing some cash cropping um, the young lady that has approached me and uh, contacted me even uh, even yesterday is developing a range of herbal teas and was interested in our discussion a number of weeks ago about the concept of growing herbs and singularly packaging them and, and presenting them as an Australian product of herbal teas, and I've encouraged that. So she contacted me, and she would be listening to this program, as she has done for a very long period of time. Listeners might remember that she was, uh, uh, I think she actually rang in, stay, saying that she was growing the herb Moline. 
which is a remarkable herb for the respiratory system. Um, so I have encouraged these two people, and I encourage listeners that might be interested. Those is that is people that have a small amount of land that want to do something to uh, add to their income, and people might think, oh, well, this is just a plaything. Look, listeners, it's not. Growing uh, even things like garlic, uh, turmeric, even some of these well-known herbs that have multiple purposes, you take those to a market, as I've seen, and they'll literally walk away from the back of the truck. I was at Wallumby, Jane, a number of years ago and saw a gentleman there arrive with some of his own freshly grown and picked garlic, and there was like a, a, a race of, uh, of people to get to the track to buy his fresh garlic, and it was a good price. You would have done well. So what am I doing? I'm encouraging people to think about those that want a bit more money, and we're going to all need a bit more money. We're entering into that period. Those people that are interested look at growing a particular herb or a number of herbs and look at the possibility of marketing them through our wonderful markets here, and it's not that difficult to do. I'll finalise my little talk by saying there is a book entitled Growing Herbs as a Cash Crop. Now, listeners, note that down. If you haven't got it, I'll leave it, get, uh, get it put on our website for you, by the American writer Richard Allen Miller, Growing Herbs as a Cash Crop. Now, it's a little bit dated, uh, but it has a mountain of information in it, uh, particularly statistical information, telling you how much of a particular herb you can get from a particular area that you've planted the herb in. We use that book in my teaching of the subject Growing Herbs as a Cash Crop as almost a, a recommended text to the many, many people that came. So note that down. We'll try to, we'll get it up on the website, Growing Herbs as a Cash Crop by Richard Allen Miller. Uh, if you want further information on how to procure it, um, you always can contact me. I have no financial interest in the book whatsoever, but I'm happy to tell people where they can get it. It's a great book that will encourage listeners who in the small segment hopefully will be encouraged to look at taking seriously what this lass in the, in the, uh, up in the Northern Rivers is doing and what a gentleman here in the Hunter is doing. They're going to do well and I'm going to help them do well and I hope that after having helped many people over many decades get into the honey industry, and most of them are doing well, and I can do the same by encouraging a good companion. Herbs and honey go well together, Jane. Yeah, indeed they do. <laughs> <laughs> and this is health naturally. We're going mm. to take a look at some vitamins that yes. you think might yes. be really useful in yes. a moment uh, for we'll the season. We'll, we'll take that topic up as additional material to what we said last week about necessary things to do to strengthen our resistance uh, last week, remember, we looked at the importance of diet. And I come back to that point. I'm absolutely stunned and disappointed with, I see, with what I see frequently, the, the amount of junk food that, that we as Australians are ingesting at, and sacrificing quality food, simply packed, high-protein food, which, as I said last week, is the foundation and basis of building a good immune system. Get away from carbs, listeners. Look at what you're purchasing. Get into good, solid protein. It's not that expensive. An egg a day is not an expensive thing, and that is a perfect source of complete protein. To a new RFM's Health Naturally, Dennis Stewart. Uh, 
vitamins. We all know that they're good for us. Well, we're told they're good for us, and indeed they are, although I tend to think there's been a bit of an overkill with the way, with the way in which we're all encouraged to take so many different vitamins. That's not knocking the vitamin industry, far from it. But my view is that particular vitamins have a particular role to play, and not always is that uh, emphasised as it should be. Now, if one goes to the uh, book by Dr Sandra Cabot, which I've mentioned previously in our discussion on, on, the, on the COVID virus, remember, the, this good Australian doctor has written what I consider to be one of the best works ever on reinforcing the immune system. And a lot of what I've said has been drawn from Dr Cabot's book. On page 62 of her book um, on the coronavirus and viruses generally, a book, by the way, which for 20-odd dollars is one of the best reads uh, for anyone interested in, in doing something for themselves, uh, augmenting uh, any medical assistance they might be getting. Well, in that book, there are a couple of vitamins that are emphasised, and, and, uh, and on page 62 particularly, there are five supplements, which I've mentioned on this program a number of weeks ago, uh, as uh, supplements to encourage immunological health. One of those supplements is, of course, a vitamin C. And every wintertime for many years, I have encouraged listeners to take seriously the, the findings, the discoveries of Dr Linus Pauling, uh, who, despite being still cynically uh, uh, referred to by some, uh, he was a Nobel laureate twice, so he was no fool. And he was the one who presented the importance of vitamin C in significant levels as having major immunological consequences. And from his work, uh, vitamin C ceased to become just a vitamin uh, to take in an orange or something like that, good as that is, by the way. But he presented vitamin C, as I understand it, in particular significant dosages, significant dosages which are best facilitated probably in, in, a, in a, a vitamin uh, capsule or a vitamin tablet, he presented vitamin C as one of the most important supplements to maintain a healthy immune system and a deficiency in vitamin C can lead to an impairment in one's immune response. Now, is that important today? I believe it is because I believe, despite the information that's being promoted all the time by our governments and appropriate authorities for us to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables. I'm not convinced that that's happening. And if we're not eating a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables, our intake of vitamin C is very, very diminished. And that further makes us fair game to a lot of the viral infections, particularly viruses that are active presently, and that is the influenza virus. So one of the things that I would say to augment what I have said so far about reinforcing the immune system by good levels of protein, by warming herbs and foods, particularly spices, ginger and cayenne, um, is to make sure that this time of the year one is uh, using an adequate, significant level of vitamin C as a primary nutritional agent to reinforce the immune system. I contend that lower levels of vitamin C, and this is controversial perhaps, I contend that low levels of vitamin C lower our immune competency. And I think this is important for elderly people uh, this time of the year 
to look seriously at their nutrition and go out, get the carer or yourself to get some vitamin C and start to take it ongoingly, particularly in this cold weather. So vitamin C is probably, of all the supplements that I'm recommending at this stage, the most important. But there are others. There are others. Now, it might interest listeners to know that many years ago, um, you know, certainly around the time of the Second World War or before that, um, cod liver oil was popularly used as a supplement, and I can still remember being fed it as, as a young man. <laughs> well, I wasn't a young man. I was a kid about five or six years of age who was regularly dosed with cod liver oil uh, every Friday night, and I can remember I'd run round the house in Crest Road Walls End trying to get away from it, but I was always caught in <laughs> clip in the air in a double dose of cod liver oil. But it was standard uh, medication, particularly in cold weather. And in, in those do- that days, uh, winters seemed to be colder. It might have been because we were poorer and, and weren't rugged up as much and we didn't have internal heating, only a fuel stove. But cod liver oil was popularly used during the tuberculosis epidemic and it was seen as a nourishing food, particularly where there was respiratory distress. And um, the reason being that cod liver oil is a, a bearer of two important nutrients, vitamin A and vitamin D. So one doesn't have to go out necessarily and purchase these two vitamins in isolation. They can be obtained in various congenial uh, cod liver oil preparations. <laughs> and I've said congenial there to, to undermine my, uh, my experience of it. Those two nutrients, when, when I was studying, vitamin A was always seen as the mucous membrane vitamin. Now, that might be a little bit uh, simplistic, but it underlines the way in which cod liver oil being used in previous generations in many, many formulations was seen as having some inherent benefit, particularly where there was an existing respiratory condition, a serious respiratory condition, and by appending a vitamin D, and remember cod liver oil has vitamin A and uh, cod liver and vitamin D, by appending uh, vitamin D, one is also getting the remarkable virtues of that necessary vitamin, as uh, Dr. Cabot points out in her reference, to reinforce the immune system. So those two vitamins contained in one substance can provide an economic support combination for vitamin C in reinforcing our immune system. They're the three that I think at this time of the year are important. I had an interesting experience to reinforce this, Jane. I have numerous uh, texts at home, and many of them are old pharmacy texts. Many of them are older editions of the Australian pharmaceutical formulary. Um, I have numerous editions of those. Unfortunately, many younger pharmacists don't seem to treasure those as much as I do. Now, in many of those formularies, uh, there are preparations here, there and everywhere of cod liver oil preparations, cod liver oil with malt and cod liver oil with this. They were, it was a, a very common tonic preparation prescribed particularly to the elderly in, at that time. It has fallen out of favour, as many older things have fallen out of favour, but I'm one who's uh, pushing for a renaissance in some of the older remedies, cod liver oil with vitamin C 
is not a bad way to do something at the nutritional level again to reinforce resistance to wintertime ailments. Now, I'm interested that you say in combination with malt. Um, malt, of course, is lovely, but um, nice taste. But I haven't heard of too many milkshakes uh, providers offering cod liver oil milkshakes. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> we, we may have started a renaissance today by talking about cod, cod liver oil, but I seriously believe, mm. I really do, and the fact that it is available now in, in a, a capsule form. It's economical also. And when we talk about vitamins and minerals today, I'm distressed at the way in which uh, some, some products, vitamin and mineral products, have accelerated in price, where it's becoming very difficult for ordinary Aussies, battlers, elderly people, to be able to afford them. Vitamin C is dirt cheap, so to speak, and cod liver oil is very economical just by factoring into those two things into one's diet and lifestyle, my belief is that that would contribute to better resistance and better respiratory health. To NURFM's Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart today. And Dennis, uh, looking at things to keep uh, the winter problems at mm. bay, mm. and uh, we're now turning to herbs. Mm. What herbs do you recommend for this? Well, there are a whole range of herbs, herbs that are well-known in the Western herbal medicine tradition, and herbs which are increasingly well-known, which are drawn from the Eastern herbal medicine tradition. I would start my discussion by directing my comments, uh, to, particularly to people of my age bracket who are no longer teenagers, and point out that a herb that I have mentioned on this program over and over and over again, and that is the herb Korean ginseng, now, listeners might rec recollect that over the many years, I have presented Korean ginseng as being a herb that is what's colloquially referred to as an anti-aging remedy. Now, my, my cynics and critics will probably raise their eyebrow at that term, but I don't worry any longer about that because that's the terminology that's used pertaining to Korean or Panax ginseng in the literature. Now, what I, uh, what I gather from that is that the reputation of Korean ginseng as an anti-aging uh, remedy um, is based on the fact that it is associated with longevity in Asian medicine. Now, longevity obviously has a lot to do with a healthy immune system. So I contend, and based on the literature again, some of which I was reading before I came away today, uh, based on the literature, ginseng has immunological consequences. And when it's referred to uh, in traditional medicine as a remedy that promotes vitality, by promoting vitality, in our terminology, we would say that there would be an immunological factor associated with that, that the regular chronic use of Panax ginseng, as is carried out in Asia, explains the reputation that it has for promoting health, particularly in long life, and the way, obviously, therefore, it can be seen as something which has immunological benefits. So as a starting remedy, I would say, on its own, Panax ginseng can be seen as very useful for that purpose, particularly amongst the elderly. Paul has rung in, Dennis, from Karua. Now, Paul, you're a great believer in astragalus. Yes, that's true. I've been taking 
um, astragalus regularly for about nine months, one tablet every morning with breakfast. Yes. Dentist recommended it. And when I got struck down with COVID, well, I didn't even have a symptom. Well, that's good. What I mean, I think the, the important thing to note is that uh, with the herbs and the supplements we mentioned, we're not saying that one won't experience uh, a cold or a virus. What we are saying is the benefits associated with taking immune-stimulating herbs such as astragalus is expected to lessen the severity of the infection and hasten the recovery from it. So, Paul, your experience with astragalus coincides with my understanding of it, um, that it does give you a, an edge, and that's a good term to use, in fighting uh, viral infections per se. And interestingly, in Dr. Cabot's book that I have mentioned many times, and listeners, uh, I've got to say that I have no financial interest in that book. I, I uh, pass it on to my patients. I keep saying for a 20 bucks read, it's one of the best that one can read on it, on the immune system. But in that book, Paul, you will find that the good doctor talks uh, about astragalus in, the, in, in virtually the same way that I talk about it and sees it as a herb with immune system com uh, consequences. So I'm impressed, but I'm not in any way at all uh, overly surprised that your experience of COVID uh, turned out to be not a bad experience in as much that uh, you, you think that by using the astragalus, you, you got through it easier than what you otherwise would have done. Yes, yes. Now, my, my question is, yes. uh, could I supplement that now with uh, um, vitamin C and the cod liver oil? Okay. Well, I, I'm a great fan of those two supplements. Um, I'm not going to ask age, Paul, but anyone that is getting on, and particularly this time of the year, I would be recommending that they append that to their lifestyle. Having said that, having said that, I think that optimum levels of vitamin C and the regular use of a supplement as simple as cod liver oil should be perhaps something that's contemplated to be taken ongoingly, not just during the wintertime. Albeit during the wintertime, I would argue there is an importance associated with both of them in that uh, I see both of those as having benefits uh, in combating or even dealing with, with respiratory conditions. And keep in mind, uh, the viruses, the flu virus, etc., has a tendency to gravitate towards the lower respiratory system where these two uh, supplements, I believe, could be very useful. I would have no hesitation in saying because of the economy associated with these two supplements and because of the importance that they have both had, uh, cod liver oil at a popular level and at a use very frequently in an older system of medicine and vitamin C coming into its own by the work of Linus Pauling, I see those two things as being pretty important things and add those to your astragalus and neither of them are expensive. I think you're doing something, Paul, that will add add to the benefit of astragalus. Well, thank you for your answer my question. Thanks, Paul. Thank and you for And thank you for your call. Uh, so, Dennis, you were talking about ginseng as we one of the herbs. And that... I, I come back to that because I know a lot of elderly listeners will... Uh, I should be talking to myself, shouldn't I? But a lot of elderly <laughs> listeners will be listening to the program and I come back to the point that um, for the elderly, unless, they're, uh, unless the herb is contraindicated, uh, 
for the elderly, the, the use of ginseng is, is, is not a bad supplement to take. But um, probably, probably the most important uh, contribution, and this is in my opinion, to uh, the, the herbal support of our resistance and herbal support for the immune system uh, is the Asian uh, formula known as Astragalus 8. Now, it is a formula. Paul spoke about Astragalus, so I presume he was talking about Astragalus 8, but let me just explain to listeners that Astragalus is the leader, uh, I would consider, of the Asian spectrum of herbs, all of which have immunological usages and which very frequently are combined together. The Astragalus 8 is a formula uh, which is produced around the world as a formula, sometimes under different names, but eight, eight um, Asian herbs, all acting in conjunction with each other, um, are, are used as a reinforcing uh, weapon, if you like, to address the immune system and to support it. Now, I have, um, I have had an interesting history with Astragalus 8. I contend, and, and I'm absolutely certain that I'm right on this, that it was my discovery of the formula and my giving the first lectures on it at a postgraduate seminar in Melbourne many years ago that led to the serious taking up of this formula in this country. The formula is a formula that is well known around the world, but I discovered it, a very interesting history, I discovered it in, in doing reading for the seminar on the immune system that I was to give to a group of postgraduate students in Melbourne years ago. And it was contained in a work by an American doctor called Dr. Lawrence Badgley. And the name of the book was Healing AIDS Naturally. A remarkable work. Uh, the name might imply that it was, uh, how can you call it, a work for, for lay people, a pop, pop bit of literature. It, it turned out to be a very, very useful text on immunology, but also in that text, the good doctor went through subjects like nutrition, uh, homeopathic remedies, acupuncture, the whole lot. And in the area dealing with herbal medicine, there he presented the Astragalus 8 formula, which two American doctors, two Chinese American doctors, had brought together in the US, based on their knowledge of Chinese herbs, brought together in the US as a herbal supplement to use at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And it's contended to this day that the use of the Astragalus 8 formula on people suffering HIV led in many, many cases to an outstanding and unexpected improvement in their prognosis. So impressed with, was I with the, the history of the, of the herb, its use, both in China and in, in Australia, that we had it made here. And, and, and the rest is history. And in, in the, the herb is used now around the world to treat lesser viruses, obviously. And in my practice over many years, it's always been used to, to treat chronic, let me, chronic recurring viral infections, uh, a classic one being the herpes simplex virus. I've been in practice a long time, Jane, as you and listeners know, there is nothing that I have ever used in my many years of practice that can build up 
resistance and break the cycle of that wretched virus as the uh, Astragalus 8 formula. And I say that to many listeners out there who are plagued with this. Uh, oral herpes, genital herpes, regularly recurring embarrassing conditions. I don't know anything that I have prescribed over the years that can compete with the Astragalus 8 formula, which again, however, for people that have a settled, chronic, threatening uh, infection is something that also has remarkable consequences. Uh, so whilst Panax ginseng on its own is remarkable, the Astragalus 8 formula, more for chronic, more serious levels of virus, viral infection, is unbeaten. To NURFM's Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart and we're taking your calls. We're going to see Hampton now with Alan. Alan, you have a question about a leg ulcer. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's not mine, it's my mother's. Um, started off about half inch diameter and now it's about two inches diameter and I'm just um, wondering the best way to treat it. Well, to start with, Alan, um, in as much that it has to do with your mum, I'm assuming that your mum is being monitored by her doctor? Uh, well, she was uh, being done by the... Uh, Community yeah, nurses? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is that um, anyone who has a serious leg ulcer, in my opinion, should be um, under the care of their doctor and uh, nursing people that can regularly dress it and assess it. So what I'm going to say now in no way at all impinges on, on the role of, of uh, medical professionals. An ulcer is a serious condition, as you would appreciate. However... Yeah. It might interest you and listeners to know that uh, in my many years of practice, I've been able to help many people with intractable ulcers. Uh, in fact, I have in my file uh, a letter written to me from a lady in Victoria, I think it was, um, who wrote to me, uh, basically blessing me because I had saved her leg. And uh, she was good enough to send, uh, how can you call it, photographs, very vis vivid photographs of the transit from where her ulcer was and where it ended up as a result of, of my recommendations. By the way, she was under the care of a very empathetic doctor that agreed with what I recommended. In her case, uh, the starting base, the starting base was to recommend uh, what I refer to as my honey ointment. Now, uh, honey is known to have healing effects on ulcers, probably not as well known as it should be. Now, uh, and this is, might be intrigued to know, that going right back to the time of the Romans, in particular the Romans, um, a combination of honey and cod liver oil was standard, standard treatment for battle wounds and other lesions that were very, very serious. And the honey ointment formula that I uh, manufacture and had prescribed is based interestingly on a formula that was developed by the Russians. And again, um, I discovered the formula, as I've discovered in much of my reading, in a, a, a book written by two Russians on the therapeutic uses of honey. I purchased that book as a very young and poor student in Sydney from the uh, communist bookshop. Uh, and uh, there the formula was for the honey ointment, and I recommended to this dear lady that she begin to use that. 
the rest is history. And um, the use of it under the monitoring of her doctor in particular uh, saw that woman's leg saved. And uh, she wrote to me, uh, blessing me for, for saving her leg. She is one of many uh, who have used the honey ointment which contains not just honey, but the Russian emphasis also on cod liver oil, cod liver oil which is part of it, and uh, uh, one or two other things, um, that, uh, particularly allantoin, um, which also is a very healing substance. I would, if I were you, get your dear mum to discuss with a doctor or with the nursing uh, people um, their willingness to monitor her uh, using the honey ointment. Yeah, well, I use uh, the medical honey on, yes. on the actual wound yeah. itself at the moment. Yeah. Well, th and that's great. What I would say, however, is uh, honey plus uh, cod liver oil plus allantoin uh, in a topical uh, uh, base, ointment base, may have an edge on just using medi honey. I'm not saying it will or it won't. It may have an edge based on the reputation, particularly of honey and cod liver oil, being the basis of many older preparations that would have been used to address ulcerous conditions. What I would also suggest, however, is that your mother talked to her doctor about starting to use some bioflavonoids with some vitamin C. Bioflavonoids and vitamin C, that has a remarkable effect also improving her general resistance to infection. And uh, also in my treatment, I necessarily include the herb echinacea, which is a magnificent infection fighter, as well as the herb that promotes improved circulation to the area of ulceration. Uh, there's just a brief outline of, of my approach. Every patient, of course, is different, but foundational to my treatment would be the honey ointment based on those substances that I've spoken of, Alan. Ah, well, all the very best with that, Alan. Thanks for your call. And just while we're on that, mm. Sally had a question. Is vitamin C best in combination with echinacea or separately? I think it's a, I think it's a great combination. Great combination. Great combination. Excellent. Well, Bruce joins us now from Hamilton. Bruce, you have a, a comment to make on vitamin C? Hello, Bruce. I think Bruce has gone somewhere else. <laughs> so let us go to Marion. Marion uh, from Bonnells Bay, and your daughter has a problem with recurring herpes. Is that right? Yes, herpes zoster, so not herpes simplex. Okay. Herpes zoster is uh, a viral condition, and um, it's uh, interesting that this is actually rec recurring. How, how old is your daughter, uh, Marion? 33. Okay. Look, again, my recommendation would be if it is a recurrent infection, as, as you've said it is, I could... Uh, what we find is if she gets um, overtired... Yes, yes. ...or run down yes, to the street, yes, yes. she has one patch that just breaks out. Yeah. Look, and obviously she gets on it very quickly with acyclovir. Yes. It would be better if it didn't break out. Okay. I would, I would confidently say... Let me emphasise this. I would confidently say, going on to the astragalusate formula, in, in liquid form particularly, uh, although uh, tablets and capsules um, are available as well, but going on to the astragalusate formula and staying on it 
uh, I, I would be very confident in saying that the uh, recurrent nature of these infections should give way to the use of this potent uh, immune supporter, which has proven its benefit in various chronic viral infections. Uh, what, what I am prepared to say is that uh, if you were to contact my rooms, I'll send your daughter a bottle of the Astragalus 8 free of charge uh, for your ringing in just to see how she goes on it. Thank you ever so much. You're delightful. I listen to you every week. I think you're wonderful. Oh, that's, I'm sure my wife would be delighted to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it's your <laughs> wife who keeps you going, isn't it, Dennis? <laughs> she is indeed a remarkable lady to have put up with me. Marion, thanks for your call and Thank all you, the Marianne. very best with that. Uh, well, we're almost at the end. Um, Oh, dear, Bruce dear. had uh, was on the line before. He wanted to talk about vitamin C, but I think he might have got distracted. Uh, oh, well. So we don't know what he wants to say about vitamin C. Oh well, we've C said at enough all. about vitamin we've C, said haven't we, Jane? Lots about vitamin C. Well, it's been a great C. day, and it has been good, a good day. Good questions. And in our last minute, Dennis, yeah. um, maybe just a little recap. We're, we've got no more winter ills left, have we? No more. Well, <laughs> I come back to it very quickly and say the basis of good health and good immune functioning, particularly in wintertime, is good food. Improve the intake of high-quality protein, get away from sugar, get away from carbs. Include in your diet, if, even if you're not used to it, herbs such as ginger, cayenne, horseradish, warming herbs that promote improvement in circulation and support respiratory and immune health. Supplement with good levels of vitamin C, Think about cod liver oil in a convenient form as important supplements. By the way, I should have mentioned that zinc is always prescribed with vitamins these days. And think of Panax ginseng, particularly if you're elderly on its own, or the Astragalus 8 formula if you have a chronic tendency for infection. And of course, uh, we should have spoken a little bit about echinacea as being a Western herb that's used for similar purposes. Well, that is Health Naturally for today. Thank you, Dennis Stewart. And lots of information available on podcast to NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.